My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. Today would have been my mum's 100th birthday. Wow. Sadly, she didn't make it to 100. She died in July 2017, but we did have a fantastic party for her 95th birthday, and I'm so glad we did. Memories. Seeing her celebrating with her family and friends, being so loved, so understated as always. It was never about her, always making sure that everyone else was having a good time. But she did have a fantastic glint in her eye as she blew out the candles on her cake and listened to the string quartet that we'd hired for her. So I've picked out a couple of particularly relevant clips as I remember not just my mum but obviously my dad too who was also fantastic. So my old man and Mamma Mia. Dying at 95 was not in mum's game plan. Her mum, my wonderfully independent, quirky grandma, lived to 104, living in her own home until she was 100. I think mum thought that's the way we do things around here. Mum had been diagnosed with breast cancer at quite an advanced stage five years before, and that was what finished her off in the end but I'm delighted that successful treatment helped her to have five years of living and never obviously thinking about dying. Certainly she didn't talk about it. She was very much part of that stoical war generation, just getting on with life and everything it threw at you. 
In fact, I'd say mum's attitude made a mockery of any work that I might do around good end-of-life care. The nearest she would get to any kind of advanced care planning would be, oh, just leave me alone, or shoot me when the time comes. Not exactly helpful in terms of filling in any form. I didn't really go there. I just knew and understood her as a human being, and when the time came was absolutely beyond thrilled to be able to get her into Might and Hospice, where she had the best possible death. They say that having a good death leads to a good bereavement for the family, and although I miss her every day, it certainly helped me. And of course, the fact that Mum died back in 2017 meant that she missed the isolation of the pandemic. She would have absolutely hated that. I really feel for all the families who've been separated from their loved ones, waving through windows or hugging through plastic suits and obviously particularly not being able to be with the people that you love at the end of life. The couple of weeks I spent with Mum at Mighton Hospice, just holding her hand, playing some of her favourite music, reading to her, or just being there, being together, are amongst the most special times of my life. And now Mum's not here to witness the horrors happening in the world at the moment. Ukraine, those poor people including, it seems, so many young Russian soldiers who haven't got a clue what they're going into. The precarious position of the world at the moment. Mum and her generation believe so strongly that they'd done enough that their sacrifices and the horrors that they lived through in World War II would get the world somehow to a never-again kind of place. Mum's fiancé, Robin, was in the RAF and was shot down in action a month before their wedding. She later met my dad, also an RAF man, who served for six years abroad, including Burma, as it was called then. They were married for 60 years and gave my brother and me wonderful role models as honest, hard-working people with great values. Quite a legacy and a lot to live up to. So, a bit of a gloomy start, possibly, but it just gives some context in terms of today, how I'm feeling... A myriad of thoughts swirling round in my head and, like everybody, feeling just so helpless at the moment. Joining all the people making donations of clothes and food and money and whatever other small things that are actually within our control to help a bit. My dad never really spoke about the war at all until the last few months of his life. He preferred to block it out and let it rest in the past. I think he'd seen some pretty terrible things. He did agree to talk about it and record the conversation not long before he died, talking about some of his experiences, and that's very special to me. I felt that a lot of things had died with him, and I think learning from that, I asked Mum how she'd feel about setting up a camera from time to time and just recording us chatting in our normal way. I was surprised and delighted, really, when she said she was happy to do this, so I'll share a few little snippets. Just like when she wrote her blogs, Mum was amazed that anybody would be interested. But hopefully some of the podcast listeners who enjoy a bit of storytelling will enjoy hearing some little insights. One of my most prized possessions is the elephant that my grandma placed symbolically on a face-down photo of Hitler on her mantelpiece during the war, for the whole duration of the war. 
I've got it here next to me now as I'm recording this. They lived in London and would either go to the air raid shelter in the garden, but Grandma didn't like that, or hide under the solid wooden table in the dining room, or under the stairs during an air raid. So, okay, so tell, tell us what you did in the war. Not a lot. <laughs> so I wasn't very important. I was in, uh, I was in a reserved occupation. So what, what's a reserved occupation? That meant I couldn't leave. I had to stay there. Stay where? Uh, I was at the uh, well, Ministry of, what was it? Beaverbrook's Ministry of Aircraft Production, it was, to start with. Lord Beaverbrook. Right. And um, we did, I was in the aircraft armament research and development section, but I was only a secretary. Yeah, but you must have seen a lot going on and you must have well, picked I up a lot. Well, you, you didn't because it was all very, very top secret. But you'd still get the vibes and... Well, you knew it was important, you knew things were happening, but um, I mean, we... we we had the bouncing bomb, but we didn't know what it was at that time. You know, we used to see people come in, but we didn't always know who they were. <coughs> so you'd see important meetings going on. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was it was all important stuff, but um, so I say it was only little bits of it that you picked. Yeah. Mm. It was I was very very interested in it all. So what about your ration books and your coat? Oh, I've kept my uh, identity card. Have you? Mm. Where's that then? Mm. Oh, well, we'll find it's that, in yeah. there, yes. Yeah. Yes. And of course, we had to travel on the underground. There was a, there was a programme on the, uh, on the television about how people came down and made their beds in the underground. You Which know. you hated. Oh, well, you didn't get much room to walk along the edge of the platform. Right. You know, these people all had their... So, I didn't hate it. I didn't think about it. So along the actual platforms, mm. yeah. If there were big wide platforms, people used to have their beds, their children, and everything. Incredible. Every it? night, well, yeah. they came down to get away from the bombing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was London. Yeah. I mean, Hull may have got it, but London got it too. Because they did. Yeah, it said Hull, didn't it? On that, yes. I didn't know about I Hull. Didn't I didn't mean. know about Hull. I mean, Coventry obviously had the oh, Blitz, so in a very short yeah, time, but London, it was just continuous. Yes, Bob talks about the Blitz a lot, you know, what happened in Coventry. Yeah. Um, but it was only one night, but it was, it was one terrible night. Yeah. Mm. But yours was more just constant. Well, it went on hold for, what, several years. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember that big table that Grandma had, and she used to tell me, I was fascinated by the idea that you hid under the table. Yeah. Do you think it would have helped? Well, it might have. It might have helped if the ceiling fell down. Yeah. 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 We, it was a strong table, wasn't it? Used to go under the stairs it? as well, but there wasn't much room under the stairs. But that must have been frightening to be under the stairs. I wouldn't like that, I don't think. No. Under the table, you know, you can yeah. look out. But, but we did have a, an Anderson, not an Anderson shelter, because she wouldn't have it. I don't know why she wouldn't have it, because we could have had one of those. Um, it's typical grandma, isn't yeah, it? Metal one. She had it built. Did she not like the look of it? <laughs> I don't know what it was. She had a, a, a shelter built you know, into the ground. Right. It was horrible. It was cold, it was dark, and it was. Well, you had lights. Oh, yeah. We took lights down and lamps and things. Um, but it was, it was sort of damp. 
horrible. So what was the idea that if you had enough warning, you'd go to the proper shelter oh, in the yes, garden? Yes, you had a warning. And, and how long did you get, typically, the, well, the sirens well, went? Quite a bit, really, because I mean, they knew when they were coming. Coming, yeah. But oh, it's st- if I hear that air raid warning siren, it still makes my heart go, or my my tummy go up. You know, it must do. It, it does, yeah. yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh well, it's a long time ago. I just hope that. We don't have any more. Well, we wouldn't have anything like that. It wouldn't be like that. It's a different type of thing now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the personal memories that we have around objects. Somebody else would just see that as a wooden elephant. They wouldn't know about this powerful story. So, a bit more about Mum. This podcast is probably a bit self-indulgent. A chance to reflect. A chance to remember. A lot of people on Twitter will know how much I love my mum. She tweeted as at Jill's underscore mum and we had a lot of fun together. I would call round and see her and she would sometimes say, shall we see who's around to play today? It was such a brilliant example of no hierarchy, just people, the the people that jumped in and engaged with mum on Twitter. I think her favourite playmates included definitely Alison Cameron, with whom she shared deep Scottish roots, Kath Evans, ever afterwards known as the lady in the pink shirt, Andrea Sutcliffe, who gave her a beautiful little notebook with an owl on the front that she hardly used because she wanted to scribble all her notes in her shorthand reporter's pad and then, if you can imagine, turn it round the other way and use all the blank pages on the other side going backwards in the other direction just to annoy me I think as you could never tell where she was up to or what date it was and try and find something kind of up to date on her shopping list or whatever it was. I don't think she turned it round just to annoy me she just didn't want to waste anything and again very much a feature of her generation and I'd say to her why don't you use that lovely book that Andrea gave you to write your blogs in Oh, I will do. I'll I'll write them in here first and then I'll copy them in. And of course, she never did copy them in. So I'm left with piles of shorthand reporters' notebooks filled with a mix of shopping lists, things to tell me, doctor's appointments, and mixed in with wonderful poems and stories and little doodles and things that are so special. She'll read that, will she? Well, what would you like to happen? So that's the book that Andrew gave you. Yes. Because she thinks you're a wise owl. <laughs> well, she, she ought to read that. Then. So, I mean, I don't mind if it's just a, a sort of a, a, a story of what goes on here. Well, I think that's nice. And here in capitals. Yes. <laughs> so is that what you're going to use it for then? And, yes, and yes. Now that you've got a little bit further into it, to write on both pages is nice, isn't yeah. it? I might not write on both. I might just write on the other one. But um, well, I'll see how you go. Mm. It doesn't matter. As long as you don't go back through it afterwards and write something else in, then that'll well, be I really good. Do <laughs> I know what you like with your shorthand pad. <laughs> you go through it one way. And that got in a muddle. Well, it did get in a muddle. Yeah, because my shorthand pad normally, I write all the way one, one side, then turn it over and write all the way the other side. That's the way it, that's how 
You should do it. So and I got muddled up and done it both ways, you know. You have. <laughs> so why why is that the way that you should do it? Well, that's the way I always done it. And is that the way that short hand pads were designed yeah, to be used? I suppose so, yeah. So take a note, Mrs. Yeah, so and so. Yeah. And then um, turn it around and do it the other way. So where did you learn to do, or why did you learn to do shorthand? Because I made such a mess of my English, um, geez, well, what their general schools it was then, because I knew I wouldn't get a, a if I didn't get a, a what do you call Matric. it? Hmm? Matriculation. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't. I hadn't. I hadn't done it properly. I knew I hadn't done it properly. Oh, no. And I wouldn't get my trip without it. Couldn't go to Cork to university or anything. Didn't want to do another year. So why didn't you want to do another year? Could you have repeated it? But then the war well, was starting. Well, somebody else did, but um, the war started, and oh, I don't know. I didn't want. To, didn't want to do any more. And I know you felt you wouldn't get maths again. Hmm. <laughs> well, I thought I'd never get maths again. So you went to, so what did you do instead? I went into the secretarial sixth form. At the same school then, mm. was it? So you've got two different types of sixth form. Yeah. Well, how did that feel, seeing all the clever girls going into the... That must have I been... didn't look at it like that. Didn't you? No. no. Just, just that well, was... I, was, I was so disgusted with my... I nearly didn't bother to go and take the rest of the exam at all because I, I knew I'd made a mistake. Yeah. You know. And then you went and passed all the other ones. Mm. So then you went to the secretarial sixth form then. Mm. So was what were the two different sixth forms? Well, there was the one that was going to do two years. Oh, right, There was okay. only a year in the secretarial sixth So two years for the ones wanting to go to university. Mm. And yeah. then did most of those go on to university? I don't know what happened to no. The war broke out. The war broke out, yeah. So you did your one year. Mm. And then what did you learn there then? Pitman shorthand and yes, things. Yeah. yeah. The shorthand typing. Yeah, I was terrible. <laughs> I, I was awful at it. Why were you awful? Well, at typing anyway. But anyway, I went to classes afterwards and I did did very well actually. You know, I got right. very high speeds. And, yeah. You're good at shorthand though, and I mean, you still I use. I was there. Do you yeah. still use shorthand now in your diary? I know you did talk. not not much. Because that used to annoy me when I was young. If yeah. I'd look in your diary, yeah, I'd see G <laughs> or Jilly. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and I'd think, what are you saying about me? Yeah. <laughs> so that was the idea of going through a shorthand notebook in one direction. Yes. Yeah, and then turn it around and go the other way. And then you still use that and then you get the muddle and then it's well, a right old. you have to do it that way. If you swapped it right around, you'd get in a real muddle, you wouldn't know where you were going. No. You have to go all one way and then turn it around. Well, I can see for that you can, mm. yeah. Anyway, look at the time, here, lunchtime. So what are you going to do? It's five to twelve and yes. lunch is at half past twelve. Yeah. So do you want to fret about going to lunch for the next half hour or forget about it and we'll make sure you're on time? Yeah, okay. What do you think? I must go for Lou. Yeah, that, um, that is my little journal. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, tell Andrea, yeah? Mm. So we could tweet to her and tell her what's going on with that. She'll be pleased. So there we are, the wise owl. <laughs> and of course, the diaries I found after Mum died, I knew what to expect. They were written in shorthand and, sure enough, tantalisingly, they would say G 
and then a pile of scribble that I hadn't got a clue what she'd said, which obviously I want to understand, but can't. Ha ha, you had the last laugh there, Mum. And talking about Twitter and laughing, who remembers our Free Jill's Mum campaign? It went unintentionally viral. The NHS had done what it does so well, admit my mum to hospital when she was very ill at one point and make her better. But then go into overdrive about care packages that didn't exist as she'd never had any outside support beyond me and the family, move her to a different ward and label her as an outlier and generally start all that bed blocker shenanigans. Twitter came to the rescue. You can read the story. I'll attach it in the podcast notes. But suffice to say that Alison Cameron enlisted the Gordon Highlanders to play bagpipes in the hospital car park. Jenny the midwife sent a Trojan horse to rescue her. Kath Evans sent a brightly coloured mosaic elephant. And there were cartoons of old ladies and suffragettes chained to railway lines and railings. And many other contributions kept mum entertained while we were trying to work out what to do. I'd go in and see her in hospital and she said, oh, has anybody sent me anything? And more seriously, it made things happen much quicker. You shouldn't need Gordon Highlanders and Mongolian soldiers to get you out of hospital. But such is the power of Twitter and a good hashtag. And some of these experiences fuel my Who Shoes work and particularly the work I do around frailty and the need for integrated care. I'd love to think that I would live long enough to one day see to see the day when the NHS, social care and indeed the community join up to provide proper integrated care. But I think I'd probably need to live longer than my grandma, let alone my mum. Mum was proud of my Hushu's work, although she didn't always totally get it. Who does? I have proud pictures of her holding up our first book of MATEX, that's Maternity Experience Case Studies. Somehow, however old you get, having a proud parent is very special indeed, and I miss it. But I was lucky to have mum in my life for so long. Mum's experiences of life and of healthcare contributed quite a few of my Hushu scenarios. The most famous one is one of the most influential scenarios within the Matt Exp card set. Changing times. Here is mum reading it. When I gave birth, they insisted that I take castor oil, which always made me sick. And it did. What current midwifery practices do you think will seem wrong or odd to future generations? Florence Wilcox says it's her favourite scenario. It sparks so many conversations about things that are taken for granted at one point in time and then become unthinkable or ridiculous a generation later. Castor oil. Imagine being made to take castor oil because you're having a baby. I think this card played a part in inspiring Flo's famous lithotomy challenge. Certainly, lithotomy position is one of the most popular topics of discussion when this card comes up at our workshops. Mum came along to a few events with me, which was very special indeed. The ones that stand out include a one-off event that we did with a domiciliary care provider in Oxford, a small private company 
realised that the owners had never actually met their clients and were determined to do something about that and to hear direct from them what they thought of the service and how things could be improved. We put together the most wonderful day. The Who Shoes board game was part of it, but also cake and talks involving local people giving tips about growing herbs and bits and pieces, even if you had the tiniest windowsill space. Very human. I remember one woman hadn't been out of the house for about three years and they nurtured her to come along. Not just an invitation, but real encouragement, valuing her opinion, providing support, a taxi and an escort to get her there. It's that kind of love and care behind the scenes that makes for true inclusion and engagement. Anyway, coming back to Mum, Mum had many talents. She was a very good artist, although it was hard to get Mum to admit that she was really good at anything much. Really great pencil drawings and sketches, and also a very good writer. She could have made more of her skills if she hadn't always waited to be in the mood and putting other people's needs first. So at that Oxford workshop, we arrived early and I made sure that Mum was sitting right next to Carrie Lewis, our graphic artist, who was recording the conversations on the day. I said, Mum, if you get fed up with the discussions, just watch Carrie and you'll love it. And I think she enjoyed both. I certainly saw her chatting away to the people around her. And at one point, I think she was saying, that's my daughter, which was nice. She also came along to our local Cov Mind the Gap session. Again, I'll share the story of this, this time in the form of a video. See if you can pick mum out in it. She's definitely the oldest person there. She absolutely loved it and my friends from Grapevine and the local community looked after her. We went on to do our magic mile walk around Coventry after the workshop with dancing in the local square, storytelling in the old cathedral, singing outside the council house and all sorts. Mum wasn't up for any of that and my friend Dorothy took her back for a nice lunch. None of us can do it alone and I was so grateful to my friends who helped to make this such a great event, including giving me peace of mind knowing that Mum was okay and that she had no excuse not to come. So in terms of this podcast being notionally about healthcare, I've gone a bit off the rails today. Seeing how mum viewed things gave some really great insights into what matters to people. Thinking back, she generally enjoyed very good health, but did have some significant challenges over the years. Hepatitis, skin cancer, a couple of operations amongst them. She generally dealt with anything like this as a nuisance and wanted minimal intervention and she hated it when she ended up with really poor mobility for the last two or three years of her life. She hated the idea of carers coming in and out. If she had to have support she didn't see why they didn't come and just talk to her, do what was needed and go. Why did they have to spend all that time scribbling in a book? Well, I used to come in and read all about it, so I could read what you'd been up to. Yeah. No, you can't. No, I can't. <laughs> it was it was handy. It was helpful because I mean, supposing that time you got delayed at the hospital. Yeah. Now you wouldn't necessarily realise that someone tried to call and see you, and could have been worried because you weren't here. 
you know, they were meant to be coming. Don't you that. No, but they wrote in the book that they tried and, you know, they perhaps would have checked with somebody that you were okay and whether someone knew you were at the hospital and that. So, because you, you just said to me they kept doing a lot of writing. You remember? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, they scribbled away in their book or whatever it was. So did it feel as if they were more keen on having something to scribble in the book or actually talking to you and finding out what was going on? I don't know. They were supposed to be scribbling to me what were, what they'd said and what I'd said and... So did they tell you what they were writing in the book? No, no, no. He sat and scribbled. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, so they've taken their green folder now and all their stuff. Oh, yes, that's gone. <laughs> we had um, nothing to do with that whatsoever. But looking out of the windows, we had the um, cobbles were all up yesterday. Oh, right, we found we couldn't get in properly, so we've parked outside. Oh, you couldn't get in. Well, you can, but there wasn't... I mean, you know, we normally park by the no-parking yeah, server. Yeah, you can't park there, no. Because they have barriers up. I think they've got the barriers down now, haven't they? Well, the barriers have fallen down in the wind. Mm. So I think what they're doing is just replacing the... the they had all the stones, all the cobblestones... Right. ...piled up. They were doing something, digging... Somebody said there was a hole there or something. I think something, I don't know, subsided a bit or something, something, yeah. I don't think it's anything sinister to do with... Oh, no, no. no. But... um, It's not to do with people parking... They must have come very early yesterday because, you know, they they cleared all the the cobbles and everything. So they must have come early in the morning yesterday, Saturday. Well, I think what it's meant to be now is just like a row of barriers and just a few stones up, as far as you can see. But the barriers have oh, fallen over now, up, so they're all over the place, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's not finished yet. Yeah, it was so windy. It was too, too terribly windy. Okay, well, you better go, you? Go, yeah. So you've got lunchtime. Oh, no, oh, no. It's been fun, though. It goes so quickly. Especially you are. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm squeaking. Oh, are you squeaking? Yeah, you are squeaking. Yeah, I do squeak. Not quite so bad as it was. But they're good now and you can hear properly. Mm. Yeah. So, should we get you down to lunch? What are you going to have today? Um, roast lamb, I think, something like that. Yeah, nice. So, we're coming to have lunch in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, yes, the sixth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be like. You're your... going to be, you'd rather have the afternoon. Because they have two different cities. Well, they're the later one, yeah. yeah they otherwise, might not. Otherwise, you're eating lamb at breakfast time. I know. They, they might not have two. I don't know. Well, obviously, if there's one, we'll come there. But if there are two, try and get the, <coughs> the later one, yeah. Mum would have her own name for things. And I'd have to work out what was happening. She'd tell me that the bloodsuckers are coming today. Apparently, because she couldn't remember the name domiciliary phlebotomist. No, I'm not surprised, Mum. Her four-wheel walker was her Batmobile. We had Prosecco Gate when there was a bit of competition going on as to who was going to have the best party. I'd get kicked out because it was Scrabble evening. It was lovely to see her having such a zest for life. I remember Mum's friends thinking I was good with technology and I used to enjoy going in and showing them bits and pieces I was up to, stellar stories and so on. I wonder what they would have made of Mum getting a mention for her 100th birthday on Lemonade Radio. I reckon that would have been worth a few brownie points. Thank you so much, Christina Sorrell.
This is Lemonade Radio. I'm Lady LXA. You might know me as Christina. I'm the Lived Experience Ambassador, NHS England. And I absolutely love the support I have from Lived Experience Partners. The next song is totally going out of uh, the norm in terms of, you know, all female singers. Please hold out and listen up. This one's going out to somebody special. Joan Raymond would have been 100 tomorrow. And that is Jill Phillips. If you know whose shoes, Jill Phillips. That's her mum, Jill's mum. This one's going out to you in memory. And uh, actually, talking about Jill's mum is what made me kind of uh, follow whose shoes. So anyone in Scottish is going to know this song. I have no idea what this song is. But in memory, and Jill, love you lots. Thanks for all the work you do in co-production and bringing that lived experience to the table every single time. to healthcare, I did say that. So the local services would boast a one-stop shop for all things related to supporting the community, which of course meant that if you couldn't get through to that one number, you couldn't get through to anything. I remember tweeting in absolute frustration when the clock ticked past five o'clock on a Friday after I'd been waiting for half an hour to get through to anybody, saying it's now the weekend and we'll be open as normal on Monday morning really not helpful and by this stage mum was deteriorating so fast that equipment was being delivered and by the time it was delivered it was no longer any use to her as her needs were increasing so quickly but most frustratingly they would deliver the next piece of equipment and be unable to collect any of the items that were now clogging up her tiny flat because it wasn't on the docket to collect things just to deliver things even though it was going back to exactly the same store and presumably somebody else might really want it. Anyway, I won't go into all of that today. Instead, I'll focus on some of the special people who helped in terms of healthcare at the end. A wonderful oncologist who took mum's hand and sat with her on the bed when he had some pretty bleak news to deliver in terms of test results. The GP who understood that when people were tearing their hair out, They just don't need unnecessary stuff to deal with. I remember when I complained about the anxiety that mum got into having to remember to phone about her monthly prescriptions and having a tiny time frame in which she was allowed to do that rather than the damn thing being computerised properly. He understood that it was important for her to be able to do this herself rather than to rely on me. She was just such an incredibly independent person and he said, Jill... I'll give your mum a truckload of tablets. And basically by this, we work together 
so that she always had at least one month's supply of tablets and didn't have to worry anymore. The little things are indeed the big things. The paramedics who basically helped me keep mum out of hospital in the middle of the night, which meant that she ended up going to Might and Hospice, which, as I've already said, made such a difference to everything. Really special people who just made time, helped me rearrange the bedroom, helped me do all sorts of things that weren't on their obvious task list because they cared. And it saved the NHS money. So often the outcomes all align if only people just stop and apply a little bit of humanity and creativity, as happened here. Other special people were two wonderful, I'll call them friend carers, who slowly morphed from people calling to spend a bit of time with mum, chat to her, do the crossword or whatever she fancied doing, to providing personal care for her as she deteriorated and her mobility declined. Far more mum's style than having a string of carers that she didn't know. Continuity, but also having the right person. Pretty basic stuff, really. One of them, in fact, tipped me off that mum's cancer had come back with a vengeance. Mum hadn't told me, or perhaps she hadn't even told herself, if you know what I mean. So I didn't have a grand plan for this podcast. I thought I'd just talk and see where it went. I didn't set out to tell you all about mum, what a fantastic mum, granny, great-granny she was, what she did with her life, the wonderful assisted living arrangement that she had for the last few years of her life, her views or her interests, so many other aspects of a long and very fulfilled life. It's just my little reflection on this, my mum's 100th birthday. Happy birthday, mum. Keep sending those rainbows. We all love you loads. From Jilly, as she called me. Never Jill. And if it was Jillian, I knew I was in big trouble. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform. And please leave a review. I tweet as whose shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And let's hope that together we can make a difference.